0: Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia.
1: All right, John chapter 3 and 1 Peter chapter 1. Jesus said this, uh, I tell you the truth. He's talking to Nicodemus. I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 Uh, Peter says this, for you have been born again. He's talking, he wrote a letter to believers now. He said, but you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. And that's not a thing. That's a person. And his name is Jesus. Why don't you bow your heads with me. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for, for uh, the opportunity to be born again. And we pray, God, that you would help us to dive into your word today and recognize that your word is not just uh, letters on a page, but, but it's, a, it's a representation of who you are. And I pray that you'd help us to get to know you the word of God, and apply that in our lives, because we don't want to just be hearers of the word. We don't want to just agree with the word in our minds, but we want to live it out in in our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. So let me tell you a story. As a matter of fact, this is a movie plot. I I think I've seen this on a lifetime movie or a Hallmark movie. If I have not seen this movie plot, and if you've not seen this movie plot, then I declare that I have all rights to this movie plot. If anybody ever makes this movie, okay, all the royalties come here. Here's the, here's the plot. Okay. Imagine a guy from a small town works in a huge plant in that small town. Doesn't know much about where he came from, kind of came up through the system worked hard to get to where he was. Then by some strange turn of events, he gets a phone call to come to an attorney's office where he is part of the reading of the will for someone that he doesn't know. And as it turns out, he is the son of a very wealthy and powerful man from whom he was kidnapped when he was little. This man left his entire estate to this young man. They've been trying to locate him for years. As a matter of fact, unbeknownst to him, it turns out that he is the owner of the factory that he's been working in for the last six months. And then, so his life changes. The rest of the movie is about him adjusting to his new life, to his new identity. Sound like a movie you want to watch? I'm kind of interested now. Identity. Who are you? That may be the most loaded of loaded questions. Identity is tied up in our history. It's tied up in and affected by, uh, by our heritage, by our resources, by our roles, our responsibilities, by our talents, our experiences, our challenges, all kinds of things. We are tied to the people who have come before us right? And we are going to be tied to the people who come after us. When your parents pass away, you, they're not with you anymore, but you're still affected by who they were and by what they've left you with, right? But just like in our, in our little movie script, uh, you can't know who you are if you don't read the will. You can't know who you are if you don't read the will, the last will and testament. An awful lot of people who honestly are followers of Jesus Christ haven't read the will. They, the, the last will and testament of Jesus Christ. We call it the New Testament. It's this back half, the smaller half. We, it tells us who we are based on who our father is. It answers questions about our identity, about our responsibility, our rights, our authority, our talents, our purpose, everything we need to know about who we are and how we should live are found in this book right here. But my fear is we've never explored what it says about us. We like to sing those songs about I am who he says I am, but who is that? We haven't read the will So today is the beginning of a series that we're going to, we're going to explore that those issues of identity that are answered for us in the word of God. The series is called the reborn identity, the reborn identity. We know that Jesus said we have to be born again, but what does that even mean? What does it mean? So we're going to take some time to try to find out. Now today's message in this reborn identity series is called I am saved because that's where it begins. That's where our our, our identity in Jesus begins is with salvation. But salvation is used way too flippantly in the American church. That'd be a good place to say amen. All right. Uh, As a matter of fact, it's used too flippantly in Southern culture. Like if you go to the streets of wherever your little small town, you might be living in and you ask people, are you saved? Like everybody's saved. You, they somehow, if you're born <laughs> at, below the Mason Dixon line, then you're in, you're, you're in, you're saved. You're like grandfathered in, but the Bible teaches us something completely different. As long as everybody's saved, as long as you don't define it too biblically. But once you define salvation, biblically, you find out that God don't have grandchildren. He's only got children. And that there's only one way to come to the father and that's through Jesus Christ. And so I'm not sure we really understand what it means to be saved because we've talked about it so much that we assume everybody knows, but we've got to, we've got to dive into the book and find out the little Baptist church that I grew up in, grew up in. We talked I heard him talk about it all the time. The, the moment of salvation. But I think there's a lot more that happens in that moment than we recognize and then we realize. And what happened in that moment has everything to do with who we are, everything to do with our reborn identity. And so're we're going to open up the will. We're going to have a reading of the will today the new Testament. And we're going to find out what our father says about who we are. Okay. Now, before we can understand who we are present tense, we have to fi- understand who we were past tense. Okay. So Ephesians chapter two is where we're going to start today. Ephesians two and verse one says this, once you were dead, because he's talking to, he's writing a letter to believers. So that's why he's using past tense. Once you were dead because of your many, of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world. Now he's describing this now, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature by our very nature. We were subject to God's anger and his wrath and his judgment, just like everyone else. Now verse 12 in that same, uh, in that same, chapter says, in those days before you knew Jesus, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. You didn't know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived, listen to this. this, this is a great description. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Romans chapter six and verse 17 it says it this way. Thank, thank God. Once you were, once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey the teaching that we've given you. So let me kind of sum this up. We were lost and hopeless. We were spiritually dead. We were at the mercy of our urges and our desires. We were slaves to sin. We were obedient to the devil. We were guilty and fully responsible for the penalty of our own sins. We were condemned to die because we couldn't pay the price for the debt that we owed. Is that a pretty good summary of where we were? You say, no, John, hang on just a second. That's not me. I wasn't like that. Don't put that on me. I wasn't like that. Well, let's look at Romans chapter three and verse 10. The scriptures say, no one's righteous, not even one. In verse 23 of the same chapter, it says it this way. For everybody has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. So the word says it was everybody. It was me. It was you. It was everybody in the world right now. You say, but that's not fair. How did that happen? How did we get spiritually dead? Romans chapter five and verse 12 tells us. Romans five and 12 says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everybody because everybody sinned. Look at verse 17. The first line of the, of that verse puts the finer point on it for the sin of this one man, Adam caused death to rule over many. And as a matter of fact, not just many, but everybody. So because of original sin, and by the way, it was Adam's sin and not Eve's sin, because of original sin, this, this, this is the default status of human beings. Now we're born into sin without God. We, we were God's special creations in the garden of Eden, but because of sin, we, we, uh, bankrupted ourselves and we, we sold ourselves into slavery. We sold ourselves into slavery. You say, well, John, why are you telling us this? Because the gospel is the good news. Have you, have you heard that before? The gospel is good news. But it's only good news to people who know what the bad news was. No, no solution looks inviting until you understand what the problem is. We were lost. We were on our way, our way to hell. And we could not pay the penalty for our sins. No amount of good deeds was going to overcome the debt that we owed Heaven's gates are not opened by good deeds anyway. So we were in trouble. You say, John, man, that sounds pretty bad. So what happened? Ephesians chapter two, let's go back to what we just read. Ephesians two and four, but God, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love wherewith he loved us in verses eight and nine describes what he, what he did for us for by grace, are you saved through faith? And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. A, what happened? We had, there was bad news. How do, we, how do we get to the good news? There was a divine interruption in the bad news. But God, who is rich in mercy, he made a way for us to be saved. See, it's not about us being good enough. It's not about us being good enough because we'll never be good enough. It's only by God's grace that we're saved. We receive that salvation by faith. That means we believe it and we ask that it be applied to our lives and we give up any credit for saving ourselves. We'll talk a little bit more about that in, in just a little while, but when we repented of our sins, when we believe that He died in our place, when we accepted what He offered, that's salvation. That's being born again and our reborn destiny shifted from hell to heaven. So if people ask us who we are, it begins with this one declaration. We can say, I am saved. I am saved. And that is the good news, amen? Now, but what exactly happened in that moment of salvation? We're saved, but we were in some pretty serious trouble as we just heard described lots of adjectives describe the trouble we were in some of it sounded like legal trouble i won't ask how many's been in legal trouble i'll just assume that a few of you might have so what, legal trouble is what we were in lots of words like guilty and slavery and debt so if our reborn identity comes from that first declaration that i am saved how did jesus get us out of all that trouble now i want you to listen to me our entire identity in Christ is based on what this book says. This is the last will and testament of Jesus. He died so that it could go into force because the will doesn't take effect until the, the one who makes the will dies. Jesus died. And then he rose again to put it in force, to give it power. It is what it is. It says what it says, not because it's been officially and legally executed. Nobody can do anything about it. Not the devil, not anybody, but, but we have to know exactly what it says. You can't just make it up. There's no such thing as a fill in the blank will. You don't just get to write it in yourself. So we, who we are is a fact that's established by this legal document right here. So we're going to read a lot of scriptures today and we're going to try to sort through our reborn identity. So let's get into it. And their phrase, their phrase is declarations today. So when you say I am saved, you're, you're saying, first of all, I am chosen. I am chosen. Now just that one word indicates so much intentionality, doesn't it? Chosen. We don't belong to Jesus accidentally. He did it on purpose. All right. I want to show you some scripture. First Peter chapter two, verses nine and 10. Uh, Peter says, but you're not like that for you are a chosen people. You're a, you are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God for he called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. Verse 10 says, once you had no identity as a people, but now you're God's people. Once you received no mercy, but now you've received God's mercy. Look at first Thessalonians one and four. We know dear brothers and sisters that God loves you and has chosen you to be his people. Look at Ephesians one and four. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Colossians chapter three and verse 12, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. He chose us. He chose us. Why in the world would he have chosen us? It said it in three or four of those verses right in a row. He chose us because he loves us. Listen, let that sink in for you for just a second and let it counteract any issues that you might have had with your earthly identity. Any issues that you might have had with rejection or abandonment or betrayal. God is not human. He, he loves you and he, and because he loves you, he chose you. And guess what? Because he's not human, he don't choose and change his mind. He will never leave you no matter who left you, no matter if your parents left you, no matter if your friends left you, no matter if your spouse left you, he will not leave you. He will not forsake you. Why? Because he chose you and he promised he would never leave you. And he does not lie. He can't because he's the truth. It's by definition, impossible. You say, well, listen, John, once he gets to know me, like everybody else in my life, he'll leave me. Well, let me show you a verse that really the whole chapter, but I want you to I want to show you the first verse. So you see where this is going. It says this in Psalm 139, Lord, you have examined my heart Look, and you know everything about me. Everything. God knows you. Oh, if God, knew, if God knew what was going on, he knows everything. And he still loves you. And knowing you and loving you, he still chose you. So when you are saved, when you receive salvation from him, it starts with this understanding of, of that he knows exactly who you are. He knows exactly what you've done. He knows exactly where you've been. He knows what you've been through and he still chooses you. That's an incredible reality. It's an incredible God. Because listen, God being holy, God really hates sin, but he really loves sinners and that's the good news. Now you say, well, praise God. He's not going to leave me. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't, so bad that he's going to just reject me. On the other hand, and you know, these, you know, the type, there are people who say, well, I mean, it's kind of clear why God chose me, right? Cause, cause I'm so special because I'm so, I'm so gifted. I'm, I'm so talented. I, I was halfway there anyway, because I'm so righteous. First Corinthians chapter one, Verse twenty six. Uh, remember, dear brothers and sisters, that uh, few of you were wise in the world's eyes, or powerful, or wealthy, uh, when God called you. Instead, God chose the, the, the God chose the things of the world that the world considers foolish, in order to shame those that he thinks are wise. He chose the things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. So as a result, nobody can ever boast in the presence of God. So listen, let's don't get full of ourselves. What he did is for us, but it's not about us. This is all about Him. It's, it's, it's rooted and grounded, not in who we are, but in who He is. It's about Him and His goodness and His grace and His mercy and His power. So when you say, I am saved, you are declaring, first of all, I am chosen by God. What else does it mean? It means maybe these are two words you haven't heard before. It, it, it means I am rescued and transferred. I am rescued and transferred. Anybody been transferred before on your job? Not always a pleasant thing. Let me tell you, this is good news. All right. Colossians chapter one verses, verse 13, it says this for he, Jesus has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. Rescued and transferred. So before we were saved, we were in a mess, right? We've already established that. Ephesians two tells us that we were were enslaved to sin and that we were serving the devil. That means we were a part of the devil's kingdom. In his domain, we were his possession. How? Sin placed us there. So when God chose us, he rescued us from the devil's domain of darkness and he transferred us into his kingdom. It's a legal transaction. Well, what does that mean? It means the devil can't come back and lay claims to you because it's done. Because listen, Jesus didn't just sneak in to the devil's domain in the middle of the night and like steal you away. He walked in, shoulders back. He looked around. He chose us. And then he said, Hey, he said, I want that one. So draw up the paperwork. I'm taking him with me today he rescued us from the devil and he had us transferred legally into God's kingdom. Is that not cool? We've been transferred y'all and it was a good transfer. Hallelujah. It's out of the bad department into the good department. All right. We're, we're part of his kingdom. So when we, when we say we're saved, we, we, we also mean that we're rescued and transferred. That's part of the reborn identity that we walk in you say, but how can God do that? How can he just like rescue and transfer us? Why would the devil agree to that? Well, here's the, here, here, that's a great question. And here's the answer to that question. And these ideas are connected. We're not just rescued and transferred, but, but I am redeemed. I'm redeemed. So let's go back to that verse and see if we can figure out what that means. Okay. We'll read the verse we just read. And then the next verse too, for he's rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Purchased our freedom. That's that's the beginning of the definition of redemption. It's the idea that we were on the auction block as slaves to sin and Jesus went to the auction and paid for us. I want to show it to you in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 19 and 20. He said, don't you realize, Paul said, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You don't belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price. See, we already belong to God. Didn't he create us? Didn't he place us as humans in the garden? We were already his, but because of our choices, our choice to sin, Jesus had to go now and buy back what already belonged to him. And the word tells us the price was not cheap. It was not cheap. Look at Galatians chapter three and verse 13. I'm going to read it to you in two different versions so you can see what's going on here. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us because it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, everyone who's crucified. Here's, here's in the New Living Translation. It says it this way, Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing because scripture says, cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. In this case, in this verse, rescued and redeemed are used interchangeably. Either way, it means that in order to bring about our release from Satan's domain, Jesus had to put himself under the curse or in some cases become the curse by being born a human, by drinking the cup of judgment in the garden of Gethsemane and being crucified. It was, our sin was a death penalty for everybody. But Jesus was perfect He was a perfect sacrifice. He was sinless. He was holy. So Satan had no grounds to hold Jesus. But what about us? The other verses said he paid a high price for us. And the payment for that price was his blood. The blood that Jesus shed on the cross was so valuable that he had enough to pay for you and for me and for everybody else. The whole world, in fact, it was, a, it, was, it was fair and square. Even Satan couldn't, couldn't uh, argue that the debt had been paid and he had to release us into the kingdom of light. So remember when it says that we were, we were without hope and without God in the world? Now you understand why. We were in the wrong kingdom. We were in the kingdom of darkness. But being redeemed fixed all of that. And I want to show you this in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 13. It says, but now you've been united with Christ. You were far away from God. We were in a whole other kingdom, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. We were rescued and transferred and redeemed, redeemed. Now the next declaration you can make when you say, I am saved is I am forgiven. I am forgiven. See, a lot of times people assume salvation and forgiveness is the same thing, that really all salvation is is being forgiven. But there's a whole lot more to it. We've already seen that today. All right? Now, to be forgiven is to be released from the penalty of a sin, to be released from the penalty. We have the death penalty. He gave us forgiveness, so now we are no longer uh, we are no longer under the penalty for that sin. And I want to show it to you in in several places, but I want you to see what forgiveness is always associated with. Uh, in Acts chapter two and verse thirty-eight, Acts two and thirty-eight, Peter said, "Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit." Look at Acts chapter three and verse nineteen. Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be forgiven or wiped away. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. The Lord isn't really slow concerning his promises as some think. He's being patient for your sake because he doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. Luke chapter 24 In verse 47, it was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of the name of Jesus to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. And look at look at the message. There is forgiveness of sin for all who repent. First John chapter one verse nine, if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How do we receive forgiveness when we repent? when we repent, not just when we feel guilty about it, not just when we have an emotional moment in a church service, not even when we just say, sorry, that's not repentance. It's good to be sorry. You should feel sorry for when you harm somebody, but repentance is about understanding the damage that your actions have caused. It's, it's a commitment on your part to change your behavior, to change your attitude and your ways. Our sin literally put nails in the hands and feet of Jesus. And our repentance should recognize that, should accept that responsibility, and then should commit ourselves to changing our mind, which is what repentance means, changing our minds about the way we live and how we see things. It's a commitment to change masters. We've been rescued and transferred from the kingdom of darkness, and now we're in the kingdom of light. So now we have a new king And we commit to letting him be in charge and to do what he says. Repentance and forgiveness are always connected in the Bible. Now, John, why is that important for us today? Because the enemy loves to remind us of the things that we've already been forgiven for. We spend way too much time, many of us, thinking about the things that we used to do and feeling bad about them feeling under condemnation, feeling shame. And I want to show you something in Psalm 103 verse 12, he has removed our sins as far from us as the East is from the West. How far is the East from the West? Well, they're, they're completely in different directions. They're going in opposite directions. God took our sin and he is going as far away from us as fast as he possibly can. That's how separated we are from those sins that have been forgiven. Look at Hebrews chapter eight and verse 12. I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. It's not that God's got Alzheimer's. It's not that he can't remember. It's that he chooses to forget. So listen, why listen to the devil recall what God has already chosen to forget? Why spend one second of your life fretting over something that's already been forgiven? And if, if he said you're forgiven, what gives you the right to keep yourself on the hook? You see, we can forgive almost everybody for almost everything, but we can't forgive ourselves for nothing, right? Are we not always the hardest ones to forgive? do you realize that's not humility? It's pride. Because we think our sin is so egregious, it's so horrible, it's so terrible that even the blood of Jesus can't cover it and forgive it. That's pride. And so we have to humble ourselves enough to repent of the sin of unforgiveness against ourselves and then let him take it and leave it there. Leave it there. When you can say, I am forgiven, it means your past is closed for judgment. Can't be used against you anymore. The penalty is gone. Now, last thing, what does salvation mean? When you can say, I am saved, and we'll talk about more next week, but when you can say, I am saved, it also means I am resurrected. I am resurrected. remember that Ephesians 2 told us that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, Turns out that when you're God, death ain't no big deal. He can reverse that. It's not final. Look at at these scriptures. Colossians chapter three, verse one. Oh, I love this. Since you've been raised to new life, raised to new life in Christ, that's resurrected, Set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven and not the things of earth for you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life is revealed to the whole world, you will share in his glory. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter two, verses four and six. But God, you remember that? But God, who's so rich in mercy and loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life. He resurrected us when He raised Christ from the dead. When Jesus resurrected, we got resurrected. It's only by God's grace that you've been saved. Look at verse 6 For He raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ Jesus we're resurrected. We were dead, but now we're, li- we're alive. But notice that we aren't resurrected back to our old life. Our old life was sinful and hopeless and godless. And we're not even resurrected back to our own life. Because Jesus said, when you have to give up your life in order to get his life. When we try to hold on to our life, then we lose our, uh, our spiritual life. We we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but Jesus resurrected us not to our old life or to our own life, but to a new life that is hidden with Christ in God. We no longer live apart from Christ. We, Acts chapter something says, we live and move and have our being in him. The scripture declared it and we just read it in, in verse four of chapter three of Colossians. It says, Christ is our life. And so John, why are you making such a big deal about that? I get it. We've been resurrected. Let's move on. Well, I'm making a big deal about it because there's this misconception in the American church that salvation is about getting forgiven and then going along your merry way. That, that God is now on your side. And that means he's going to help you accomplish your hopes and your dreams and your goals and your visions. That God is now a member of your team that is not how that works. God is the creator sovereign of the universe. He don't like join teams. He starts teams. He is the team. So he's not, he's not asking if you want him to be on your team. He's allowing you by his grace and mercy to be on his, but God's got this God complex where he thinks he's in charge, where he thinks he knows better where he thinks his purposes and pursuits are more important than ours. What's the deal with that? Well, it's because he's the master. If, you get, if you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, you better be finding the king of light and find out what he wants. So he calls the shots. We were dead, now we're alive, but we're not alive so we can keep doing the things that we did when we were dead Now we're alive so that we can go and rescue other people who are also still dead. We find our purpose and our pleasure in following Jesus. That's why historically, believers who are sold out to Christ have done the most ridiculous sounding things. They do dangerous things in the name of Jesus. Peter knew that he was going to be crucified upside down. He knew that for decades before it happened. Jesus told him on the on the side of the Sea of Galilee. He knew. He didn't care. He lived for Jesus anyway. Paul knew that he was going to be arrested in Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, his friend said, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Go anywhere else in the world. But don't go to Jerusalem because if, the moment you step foot in the city limits, they're going to arrest you. And, and Paul knew that. He said, I know. I don't care. That's the plan of God. And if he wants me to be arrested, I'll be arrested. And if they send me to Rome, I'll probably die in Rome. But if that's God's will, I'm okay with that. Paul said it in another place. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain he said, I don't care what you do with me. I am sold out to Jesus. I was resurrected from the dead so that I could live for him. So I'm going to live until he tells me it's no longer time for me to live. And when that time comes to die is gain. So you can't lose when you're like that. We were dead trying to live for ourselves. Now we're alive trying to die for ourselves but all for the glory of God, all for the glory of the one who raised us back to life and not just to life, but eternal life. I am resurrected. You see how beautifully complicated this moment of salvation is. You see, it it, it takes God to cram all of that stuff into one moment when you say yes. All that stuff happened and it completely changed your identity. It completely changed who you are. And that's not even all of it. We're going to talk about some more of it next week. You have a reborn identity that all begins with this declaration that I am saved. Because of the, the love of Jesus for us, we can say in, in that I am saved, we can say that we are chosen, that we are rescued that we're transferred that we're redeemed that we're forgiven that we're resurrected we have a new identity that's who we are now listen let me let me tell you this if you can't say i am saved you're like john hang on now I, i'm not sure based on what you're talking about i'm not sure what this for re- repentance thing is i thought if i just said i'm sorry and signed the card came to church i was good Here's, you can be saved today. You can be saved today. You admit that you're spiritually dead because without God, that's exactly where you are. You're spiritually dead because of sin, incapable of meeting God's standard on your own. You repent of those sins, not just saying you're sorry, but you're committing to changing your life with the help of God. You believe that Jesus died on the cross to take your place for the penalty that you couldn't pay and to bring you back into his family, to transfer you from where you were to where he wants you to be. You confess that Jesus is the Lord of your life and that you're going to live for him from this day forward. That's salvation. That's salvation. And you can be saved today. If you can say, I am saved, then I want you to join me on this journey. Do it on your own. I want you to, I want you to begin to explore the depths of your identity. Learn who you are in Jesus. You know how I started this? I I started with a search on our identity in Christ. I wanted to see the I am statements or the you are statements about who we are in Christ. Do the research for yourself because who we are and what we're able to accomplish in the, in the kingdom of God, in, in bringing his kingdom here and bringing his will here on this earth and going and making disciples, all of that is going to be built on who we are and what we know about the rights and responsibilities and authority we have based on our identity. We've got to know who we are. My suspicion is we are, we are living far beneath our privilege as the children of God. And we need to know what the will is
0: 3747. That's seven seven zero five three seven three seven four seven. 537 3747 At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.